Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, and welcome to the Post Questionnaire. My co-host Caroline and I are thrilled to host the author and playwright Daniel Kilman today. He's based in Berlin and New York, originally from Vienna, and is the author of the novel Measuring the World, which became a global bestseller several years ago. It's been translated into over 30 languages, and it's an amazing book that will draw you in from page one. In addition to many other books and plays, he's most recently published Till, which was shortlisted for the Booker Prize in 2020 and is a book set in the Thirty Years' War in Europe. It's an equally absorbing and incredible tale that Daniel has crafted into something that will just not let you go. It's also coming to a screen near you, because Till is being turned into a Netflix series that will be released in 2021. Which reminds us, both Carolyn and I wish you all the best for the new year, and let's close out 2020 with this exciting episode with Daniel Kilman. You can also find us on Instagram, and please do so to learn about new episodes and additional projects we're working on. Caroline is Caroline Weber 2020. I am Uli.Bear, and the podcast is found at post.questionnaire on Instagram. We have a YouTube channel, Ulrich Bear, and the website for the podcast is called postquestionnaire.net. We hope you'll enjoy this episode with the writer Daniel Kilman. Welcome to the Post Questionnaire. 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the Post Questionnaire. Thank you so much for um, being here today. Thank you. It's a great pleasure and an honor. Um, We're thrilled that you could make it all the way from Montauk. All the way from Montauk, right, electronically. It's, it's actually easy, but it's still, yeah, all the way. I've known you now for many years, and we've actually done events together and talked about a lot of different books. Um, but I, and Caroline has read the book um, Measuring the World that mm-hmm. a lot of people who are listening probably have read. Um, to me, it's actually really nice that uh, I read it a long time ago, long before I knew you, and... You have seven other novels, a lot of plays, different essays. My 18-year-old niece um, and my mother, who is 88, both are a little bit in awe that I actually know you, even. <laughs> and which is, really, which is really wonderful. And uh, they're very different people. And it's not they all study literature or something. But the, my 18-year-old niece could not believe that I knew you as a person <laughs> because it was the one book in her entire high school career that she truly loved. So it's really nice that a book that... Caroline connected to, I connected to, so many people connected to around the world. And now you are at the end of the geographic, territorial United States, <laughs> the eastern <laughs> tip of Long Island. Um, but it's really, it's really wonderful to, um, to have you on, the, on the, uh, the podcast today. It makes me very happy what you just said about, uh, about your niece and, and, and your mother. That's just, uh, yeah, that's, I, 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 it's, it's been a while now that I wrote this book and it has become kind of it, it feels it, it yeah it's it's by now i feel like it's it's something that has disconnected from me in a way because just so many people know it and react to it and talk about it but it's just very very beautiful for me it's something that makes me happy uh, that, that this book is out there and people really connect to it i think that's what you really want as a writer and just to have had that once in in your life at one point already means that yeah you 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 can be happy yeah in as a writer and and you you fulfilled what you once wanted to to do but it's it's right it's nice the experience that they shared with me was this 
profound happiness at reading such a great book. They actually, they, they, they did exactly that. They said they loved reading this book. And both of them said, my mother and my niece said, oh my God, we wanted to make it very <laughs> slow so it wouldn't end. It's such a great book. So that kind yeah. of experience, I think, and that you give people a space and a time to share. And you don't know who these people are anymore because there's many millions who are reading this book. Yeah, but of course they are. Then, 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 then I, I, I do meet people who tell me that they connected to it very strongly, or I, I meet, or I hear it from people like you. You know, who know people who connect with the strong connection to the book. And uh, yeah, I, I feel uh, it's 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 one of the great joys of my life to have a book that achieved this. And and uh, it's not it doesn't necessarily mean it's my best book. It doesn't necessarily mean. Uh, it's the most important thing I wrote. It might, but I don't know. I, I'm trying not to not to think about that. But in 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 many ways, it just means like it, in this one case, I really achieved one of the things that you dream of when you start out as a young writer, like to to connect, to to make a connection. Yeah, yeah. and we'll we'll be sure to put on the podcast and on social media your most recent book called Till. Um, is a kind of composite figure about the third in the Thirty Years' War, which I find equally compelling, and it just came out in America right before mm -hmm. the shutdown. So we'll we'll do our part as much as we can <laughs> to get people to pay attention to this this most recent novel you published. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it came out before the shutdown. I, I was I was quite lucky with the timing, so it was still. <laughs> Uh, reviewed when before the newspapers started only writing about Corona. So and 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 uh, it it's it sold quite well when there were still bookstores. So uh, I, I I was very I I was very lucky. It could have gone, it could have just disappeared. Of course, four weeks later, and it would have just been like a virtual book launch. Yeah. That didn't happen. Well, we're happy to have you virtually now. And uh, we'll go through the original 35 questions from the Proust questionnaire, mm -hmm. which dates back to the 1890s. And the order can be a little bit uh, interesting. So bear with us, please. And we'll yes. start out with an easy question. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Uh, when writing goes well. That's, that's, that's easy, when writing uh. goes well. Yeah. Should I elaborate or is that, you know, is that all you need? <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, you don't always have to elaborate, but yeah. because we're both writers too, I think I'd love to hear more about what that, what that means to you, just when it's flowing of its own. Yeah, it's when you reach, it's usually when you reach the last third or the, the last quarter in a novel you're working on. Hmm. And when all the important decisions have been made and when it's going really well, meaning like, you know, you will finish this book, you know, this is going where it's supposed to go and then when you just work every day and 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 you 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 get a little bit further in 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 the book you're and and you feel nothing really serious i mean short of of course lightning striking you or some other accident <laughs> but uh in in as far as the writing is con concerned nothing really serious can happen now to m make this book not uh, to 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 prevent this book from being finished so uh so that's the that's the best and most beautiful uh, that's the idea of perfect happiness those months of writing when it goes well yeah daniel what is your greatest fear um well since I, I i would have been a lot i would have had a lot of more philosophical answers to that but I have an 11 year old, so it's very easy. The idea that anything bad could happen to my son. Mm -hmm. What is the trait you most deplore in others? Meanness. Hmm. Meanness, yeah. As in unkindness, pettiness, both of the above? As in, well, there are many reasons why someone could be unkind. People can also just be unkind because they're selfish, which is also not great. But there is also an, something, well, something like sadism, where, yeah. where people are unkind to really hurt others because, it can, uh, because that's what gives them joy. Um, that's actually quite rare. It doesn't happen a lot. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I once interviewed Tom Bergenthal, who is an Auschwitz survivor, 
and mm. and he said actually even under the worst circumstances there are very few people who actually enjoy hurting others most are just opportunists they, they think they have been ordered to do this whatever but mm. some people enjoy it and that's that's really that's evil that's the worst yeah what is the trait you most deplore in yourself oh there's so many <laughs> uh, i would say a certain laziness in in all aspects laziness to work laziness to think something through also emotional laziness sometimes to go for the easiest emotion towards something that's happening like sometimes outrage is just the easiest way to react or sometimes um uh, uh yeah sometimes just being angry instead of asking why someone doing something or so yeah any kind of uh, of 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 laziness that's that's the trait in myself i really don't like it's a it's a it's an unexpected answer from someone who's published i don't know these 12 books several months. i know played a screenplay and netflix is okay but i'm just going to move on which living, which living person do you most admire which what person sorry which, which living person do you most admire Oh which living person uh oh um that's not easy i uh for for whatever reason right for 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 whatever reason uh i would say um mario vargas llosa as a writer okay <laughs> and um well, I, I now have to add someone as a moral character and as a as a as a moral uh, as a great moral example. And of course, there are so many. But right now, I feel like so maybe that's again laziness. I can't think of anyone of of, of anyone who really comes to mind with with very strong uh, force. And uh, okay, I'll just leave it to the I just leave it with that. I will say Margus, Mario Vargas Llosa, but not for his politics. <laughs> okay. What is your greatest extravagance? My greatest extravagance, I am quite ashamed, but I feel I don't have any. Okay. Which is not something I'm proud of. <laughs> why, why would you be ashamed of, of often we have people who apologize to us or say that they're ashamed because of their extravagances no i think it's good to have some extravagance it sounds really boring if you don't have that yes yeah it's, it's true it's, most people probably name the things they really like yeah the yeah extravagances they think they really like to indulge in that's true they may feel guilty but they still like it that's true yeah i really feel i don't i don't have any real extravaganza i'm 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 um i'm kind of mortified by realizing that but it's <laughs> might be true <laughs> so we didn't believe that you're necessarily lazy but maybe you're lazy about finding extravagances then i don't know so nothing feels like an indulgence to you in your but life a lot of there are a lot of small indulgences of course but they're really boring for the for 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 a conversation like this like i eat too many carbs for example i know <laughs> I don't eat carbs anymore but i eat carbs all the time but what kind of an answer is that so <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe a universal answer uh, what is your current state of mind my current state of mind is I was extremely worried, like worried to the brink of panicking a month ago still. And now I have calmed down and because I can see that there might be a future, not just might be, that there is opening up a future after the pandemic. So my state of mind is, I wouldn't say optimistic because I still think the outcome of all this will be very dark and 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 uh, in uh, in the long run but also i think uh it's still i'm 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 um pessimistic but not panicking anymore and therefore comparatively calm now compared to my state of mind a month ago okay. yeah yeah what do you consider the most overrated virtue the most overrated virtue that would be um um modesty mm. <laughs> it comes too easy 
on what occasion do you lie? Uh, I could say on questionnaires like this a lot, but that would just be for the sake of the joke. Uh, so uh, I would say on, on, on uh, all kinds of social occasions to get through some kind of small talk conversation. Um, and then also that's one answer. And the other would also be uh, talk when, when, when there's any, when talking to older fellow writers or artists pretending to know their work really well. <laughs> because you have to do that in some cases, otherwise any conversation is impossible. Oh no. Oh yeah, but you're right, that does seem politic at least, if the assumption is that you know all about their work. If there's I'm not gonna say any names, but there are some, as I said, older uh uh, colleagues, uh, and not just as again, not just uh, writers, all kind of artists. Uh, if you want to get through a conversation without them getting angry, they you will have to in some way pretend to be really familiar with their work. What do you most dislike about your appearance? About my appearance? Yes. Uh, um, uh, my teeth sometimes. <laughs> I mean, okay. not, I mean, I, I, I had, I, I had an overbite when I was a, uh, when I was a child. Is that what you call it in English? Yeah. And, yes. and, and it, 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 it was, uh, it was treated, but it was not treated as well as now. I, I would, I, I, I would think, I, I would like it to have been treated for, for a few months longer, so it hasn't completely disappeared. And even though it might not be very obvious to any to everyone all the time it's some of the things i feel very self-conscious about you, you i think it's it's one of those normal thing a tiny thing in yourself that you that you can never get out of your mind so that's that would be that for me yeah sure which living person do you most despise um i really think i have to say mitch mcconnell mm. I'm not, not Donald Trump, but Mitch McConnell. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's For obvious up, reasons. <laughs> come up a few times on this questionnaire. Did he? Oh, that's great. I, I, that, that, I like to hear that. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, what is the quality you most like in a man? Uh, yeah, I, I actually, I know that that's in the Proust uh, questionnaire. And I think there's also going to be what do you most like in a woman? Right. And I yeah. really feel like that's one of the few parts where that questionnaire feels a bit dated because yeah. I really, not to give you a politically correct answer, but I really don't, cannot think of any quality where I feel like that's a quality I, uh, I want to see in men or that's a quality I want mm -hmm. to see in women. I think that there, there's the, the, the gender distinction doesn't make any difference here. I really can, I, I, so I can't give you a, a, a male specific answer to that. Sure. Reason. Yeah, no, Uli, Uli and I, when we first started doing this questionnaire, would often almost apologize in advance for the datedness of the, of the question, but we decided to keep it as is, and sometimes people give gendered answers, but mm -hmm. um, you're, as with Mitch McConnell, I think yeah. you're not alone. I know. In, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind a gendered answer if I could think of one, but I honestly of can't. <laughs> of course. No. Well, can you? Um, what is the quality then that you most like in a human being? Uh, definitely empathy. I think mm -hmm. I, 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 gen I agree with Schopenhauer when he says that love is, at its core, the ability to show empathy, and I think there's nothing more important. And I also think that. Uh, empathy is the greatest miracle of human the human soul why we are able to feel that in the first place why we are not how are we not complete uh egotists but we aren't and and uh yeah it's 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 definitely for me the most important quality in and the most miraculous quality in any human being it's i wonder if schopenhauer gets this i mean rousseau yeah. It's one of the two qualities that kind of moderate or modify us. Otherwise, we would be selfish brutes like 
kind of out of straight out of Hobbes, but for Rousseau, the fact that we do not like to see others suffer mm -hmm. makes us actually connected to them and takes us out of ourselves. It's interesting that it becomes in Schopenhauer's philosophical, but it becomes a, a, a prerequisite for, poli for political life. Yeah, know? and I think that's true. Poli even politics would be completely different if we would really be incapable of empathy, but it's really kind of mysterious why we are able, able to empathize in the first place. It's, uh, it's not a given at all. Yeah, and do you feel like it's a prerequisite for the, for the literary life? I mean, is, is yes. empathy a quality in you that it's definitely, produces I mean, what you do? De definitely. There, I, I think uh, if, uh, if, you, if you subtract empathy from literature, the, there, there's only, the, only the, the ego, only egotism remains. And actually that can still work for a poet. I'm not making fun of that. I'm, I'm very serious. You can still hmm. be only interested in yourself and write great poems, but you cannot be only interested in yourself and write uh, good novels. That is just impossible because novels are emphatically about other people. About, and even if they have a strong first person voice or character, mm -hmm. there have to be, I mean, there are very few experimental novels like the, the Beckett trilogy, where you really have one, one uh, solipsistic person in the center and you don't really get from that person to other people. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the example of that are very few. So you actually need empathy to, to, to write novels. It's in, in a way, uh, it has been said that novels are the exercise of seeing the world through the eyes of other people. So they're actually not even, you, you don't need just empathy to write a novel. A novel is also a school of empathy for every reader. Yeah, that's become one of the, um, I think it's become an element of the argument that people in Uli's in my profession, people who teach literature for a living, have tried to advance when presented with mm -hmm. the, the sort of disdainful question, well, in the age of technology and engineering and digital everything, what use is it to study yeah. literature? And I think you're, you're right that, that to describe literature as a school for empathy is the best, one of the best answers we can give. Willie, what do you think? I, uh, we would have to have a second interview about this. <laughs> I am not convinced that it would be an autumn it could be a school let me use the metaphor not everybody's going to get the message so mm -hmm. in some ways it doesn't make somebody develop empathy necessarily to read a novel i think part of so that will be more complicated mm -hmm. i think it's nothing automatic you can follow lots of novels or films and remain a completely unempathic person because if you're not sh shifted from the position of the ex the observer bystander into someone involved kind of a witnessing position, which good literature can do. But I think you can also just read a book and feel detached from these people and see their suffering and not connect. That's true, but you can always, so to speak, go to school and not learn anything. I mean, that's, that's always- that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. possible, yeah. No, no, I agree with that. <laughs> not <laughs> just in literature. Exactly, so like you can read a lot of novels and not get them in a way. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, which words or phrases do you most overuse? uh well in english because i i i i learned colloquial english in 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 america so i sometimes overuse those american uh those american terms like awesome amazing which i learned <laughs> to use a lot when i came to america i didn't use that at all them at all before so I definitely overuse that in English to kind of yeah, adapt to the, the, the speech patterns around me, but then I, I over adapt. Um, in, um, in, in, uh, in German, something that you are not supposed to use, I think at all, it would be uh, very, those vague terms like uh, irgendwie. Uh, somehow it was somehow like that that it's, it comes more naturally in German and it's always something where I feel like as a writer I'm not supposed to 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 use that I have to try to even when I talk to be as specific as 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 possible and not go to for those phrases of of, of wake, vagueness yeah. yeah yeah as a writer yeah 
I don't want to hear from the writer I'm reading irgendwie. I want to hear how. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No. Yeah. And by the way, also that is kind of, and it might not be to your point to your question at all, but when I text, I don't use emojis because I feel like as a writer, I'm not supposed to. As a writer, I'm supposed to actually put in words what I want to say. I'm not, I don't mind if other people do it, but I feel like as a writer, you should. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I once sent a, my, my editor an email that was full of emojis at the end. And then I wrote an apologetic PS saying, <laughs> I guess as a writer, I'm not supposed to use emojis. And I, I did the shrug emoji. And I was really hoping she would write back with an emoji. And of yeah. course she wrote back with the word, exactly. Oh, like, oh, oh, that's tough. Oh my God. She was, but she was right. So just to say, yes, um, I, your, your policy seems to me like the, the correct one, even if I can't observe it. Um, what or who is the greatest love of your life? Um, my wife, of course, <laughs> and my son. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not a very original answer, but I really don't have a better one. <laughs> it's quite original since they're your wife and your son. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Nobody else's. So that is right. <laughs> they're singular, not original. <laughs> when and where were you happiest? Uh, I think looking back now actually when i was on a on a writing fellowship on the island of sylt in uh, early spring i think of 2004 no it was late summer of 2004 writing the, and that brings us back to what we talked about before writing the last uh, 50 pages of measuring the world mm. not being able to sleep at night because i had so many little ideas that kind of that which i felt like i had to switch on the light again write them down uh and and i felt like this very funny book that it felt like to me like a, a, i was writing a really funny book so that's more that makes you more happy than writing a dark book like till for example yeah. And that all was coming together and uh, it happened and it was spring and I was on that island and I was really completely alone most of the time, which was also great. <laughs> nice. uh, which talent would you most like to have? I would love to be able to play the piano really well. That would be beautiful. Okay. How well can you start now and get to that level? Mm, yeah, but I would have to have a natural gift and then also learn it with a lot of dedication for a really long time, which I'm not able to because of laziness, <laughs> which, which, <laughs> which you mentioned. And uh, so that's not going to happen in this lifetime. And I did learn the piano as a child for many years and I was really, really not gifted at all. So, uh, so I never liked to practice and it went nowhere. And... Um, yeah, and so I, I don't have regrets. I don't feel like I should have practiced more because I was not talented. But that's something I would love to be able to really play the piano beautifully. Which one is the Thomas Bernhard novel about the piano prodigy who realizes he's not quite good enough to make? Oh yeah, a... that's the the Untergear. Yeah, the um, I can't even remember what it's called in English, but he's he's realizing he's not going to be as good as the other one. Glenn Gould, yes, because Glenn Gould yeah. is, is yeah. going to, to school together it's with him. The genius, no? The is it the loser, the genius. Yeah, but he's not quite a loser. It's just he's not as good as Glenn Gould. Whereas I really was a loser. I'm not saying I was <laughs> Glenn Gould. I, there's a big difference between that. <laughs> but I think you're right. It is called the loser in English. Is it? Is it? Ah. Ah, well, yes. ah, okay, yeah. yeah. In German, it, I think it should be called something like a man in decline or something like yeah. that. Or, yeah. um, but it's quite interesting about somebody who has a standard that is so incredible. And how do you live your life with this knowledge that you're not going to be that? I mean, my father in 1946 or seven, he was a young actor at Burgtheater in Vienna. And there was one other actor who started with him the same month. There was a young man called Oscar Werner. <laughs> and so my father was in that position. So he was standing, it was on stage with this guy who was the same age and who turned out to be one of the greatest actors of the century. And then oh, my God. father just quit acting. So. 
that's, I guess, yeah, that's, that's both very helpful and very depressing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was, it's funny, I was thinking about Bernhardt when you were talking about the, the rare novel that doesn't ask you to have empathy for a, mm -hmm. a, other characters, although I guess you enter it, one reading Bernhardt, one enters into an identification of some kind with that monomaniacal yeah, but it was also an objection. I, I was never a huge fan of his novels. I've said, I've, I've said yeah. that publicly, so it's Have not you? a big reveal, but uh, I was never a huge fan of his novels for that very reason. And I think that some of the novelists who learned a lot from Bernhard, like very different novelists, like Imre Kertes on one hand or Javier Marias on the other, I prefer them to Bernhard for that very reason. There is yeah. much less of that mono maniac one person viewpoint and more of yeah other people yeah and variation if you could change one thing about yourself what would it be um it would i would like to be less anxious about many things less nervous and less anxious i mean I'm a terrible traveler. I get I I can't sleep if I have to be or go on a long trip because I think I'll I'll, I'll miss my plane and and I'm terribly at organizing because I I have no confidence. I get always angry and and nervous and anxious. So that part that stuff. So I would like to be less anxious about the about things to organize about small everyday stuff of life. Yeah. Has the pandemic lockdown mitigated some of that low grade anxiety for you, even as it sort of ignited, as you said, a month ago, a real yeah. panic about the future? <laughs> it, was, it was actually great not to have to travel. So yeah. it was, um, so I learned about myself because of course I've been traveling all the time the last, I don't know, 15 years. And I've always told everyone I'm unhappy about this. I don't want to travel. And then, of course, secretly you have the suspicion about yourself that maybe I still would be I would be unhappy if I couldn't travel. Maybe I'm I'm wrong about this. And now I learn no, it's actually it's really great for me not to travel. I, I get more work done. It makes me much. It makes me calm. It makes me more focused. It is a much better life for me if I if I don't travel. So I, I in that way it has definitely mitigated some of that. Well, it's unfortunate that it gets replaced with a huge existential dread. Yeah, yeah. and then also the, the very, I mean, maybe that's a different question, but then also the very, uh, the lockdown wasn't so severe over in America, in, 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 yeah. which I think is a good thing, actually, because I think what they did in some countries is just, uh, was just insanely strict. Like the, the, the level of lockdown they had in Spain, where they didn't allow children to go out for whatever reason other than go to a hospital and they locked in a whole generation of children for two months in their apartments often very small apartments in a very hot country also uh, so that filled me with a lot of anxiety the, the the idea that our government our and i'm not talking about the terrible trump government that's a different story but i meant the good liberal western democratic governments in europe which we all really like in so many ways mm -hmm. that they can overreact like that and that it can be so um yeah that they actually can do that without any significant resistance the resistance comes now when it's over which is also crazy but that fulfilled me with a lot of anxiety i have to say like i felt um more than the actual virus and i'm not saying please get you have to get me right i'm not saying that lockdowns were uncalled for or that the virus is not a terrible threat but still i feel like uh, the amount of the lockdown in spain and france had no scientific basis and uh, and 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 there was not even a debate about that and that made me lose a lot of trust in the basic idea that in our liberal democracy i'm safe from government overreach mm. Mm. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Um, having written books at all. I mean, it is having written novels at all. It is so extremely difficult to write a novel and there are so many obstacles and it's so crazy hard to make all the elements work together. And it's so there are always so many reasons why it doesn't work. 
that to actually make it work, and I'm not talking about then make it whether the book is good or bad, but to make it work at all, to, to, to finish this, to get through it all the way to the end, uh, I'm really proud of that. And not, again, not about the quality. It's really about the fact that I did that and, and hoped and every single time I feel like I might never be able to do it again, ever. And, 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 and that's how I feel right now again. So, uh, yeah, that, yeah. And is that a different feeling since you're also a playwright? Does writing a play not induce that same level of doubt as to whether you'll be able to get to the end? Yeah, no, yeah it doesn't because it's so much shorter. It's so much shorter. So it's actually less, a novel is many years of work. A play usually isn't. A play is just a month of work or a few months maybe, but it can actually, you can actually write a play if you really put your mind on it you can also do it in a few days so yeah this this feeling that you have to not just uh like thomas mann has this phrase at some point in one of his short stories drink an ocean <laughs> About, <laughs> like that you have to drink an ocean like that only a novel has that that's great. Well, and he definitely, some of those books are oceans too. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh my God, definitely. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, if you were to die and come back as another person or a thing, who or what would it be? Uh, who or what would it be? I would like to be, well, I would, if it has to be an animal, I would like to be a bird, just to once experience what flying feels like. And if it has to be a human being, I would like to be a great painter. Just to, because I have no talent for it whatsoever. <laughs> and I feel like it must be great. And then also seeing what the art world looks like, you make so much more money. So that's also <laughs> not, <laughs> that would also be on my mind for that decision. If you're a great painter, yes, some yeah. people make some people make the money. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah I, I would choose to be one of those <laughs> if I have the choice. Right, since you're we're giving you the choice, yeah, right? <laughs> why not? Yeah. Why not start at the top? Where would you most like to live? Yeah, I haven't figured that out. I'm I'm afraid I can't really answer that. I'm still thinking about that, and um, I feel like I have. A different answer to that every time of the day or whatever happens uh, so for a long time there was New York City in many ways it's still New York City but then often especially when I'm in New York City I feel like I would love to be in a house on a mountaintop in Switzerland and then when I am in a house on a mountaintop in Switzerland I just want to be in Berlin so it's always somewhere else and I I, I I guess that would be the only constant answer to that, somewhere else. <laughs> what is your most treasured possession? My most treasured possession, now that will sound a bit corny coming from a writer, but it is actually my uh, Montblanc uh, pen, which I've been using uh, one of those master Meisterstück pens by Montblanc, which I've been using the last, I've been, I've been using since I was 16. So I've, I've always been writing in longhand and always with the same pen. So there's not just a great sentimental value for me connected to that pen also because it's, I've always used it. It has kind of now the, 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 it has the perfect angle. It has, it, it has been like, uh, become like a part of my hand because you know, if you use one of those gold pens, the way you golden tip pens, the way you hold it actually means that the, 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 the pen itself adapts to, how, to your style of writing, to the way how you hold it, to the angle you put it on paper. So it is perfectly adapted to my hand and any other pen feels compared to that pen really clumsy. So for sentimental values, but also for the really practical value that having used the same pen for so many years makes it perfectly adapted to your hand, that is my most prized possession. And it is the one that you've had since you were 16, that very yes. pen? Yes, always the same, yes, always the same. Never lost it. So I'm really kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really paranoid about losing that pen. And it will probably happen at some point in my life. 
and I'm already dismayed. <laughs> how, how, far, how far in the draft do you go by, in writing by hand? Like how many versions or up to what point? Usually I write uh, the whole first draft by longhand and uh, then I type it all. So I, I don't ask, I don't, I don't uh, pay someone else to type it. I type it all myself, which is very important because there a lot gets changed. So the typing itself is a very important uh, act of revision. But uh, usually I, I, the whole first draft is, is, is in longhand. And do you write on loose leaf paper or on notebooks? I write on, uh, on, on loose leaves of paper and uh, I discovered this uh, Belgian company, they're not paying me for, to say that, but since you asked, <laughs> called Atoma, and they have those uh, blocks where with a ring system you can take out leaves, but you can also put them back in. It's, you don't rip them out, but it has, it's a system uh you can check it out how it works it's very simple but it's also very effective you can take them out and put them back in so you can rearrange them so for the last two books i have i have used that system and I, you can always on, only get them in um one store in berlin so i'm always really worried that they might stop producing that paper because i really like to use their their paper blocks with just that special system yeah. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? The lowest act? or The lowest depth, I'm sorry, of misery. The lowest depth of misery, uh, well, grief. When someone you love dies, I, I, I would say, yeah. What is your favorite occupation? Um, my f I guess it would be very easy to say writing but that's not true i think i have to say sleeping i really like to sleep <laughs> <laughs> marcel proust says somewhere the man who sleeps holds around him in a circle worlds and years this idea that yeah. actually sleeping um regenerates the imagination somehow has is yeah. that your experience you write yes. better when you're well slept or yes yes definitely being well slept makes everything better and uh, dreaming helps a lot with writing, not because you write what you dream, but because you're somehow more in touch with your life, the life, inner life of your imagination. And then also just, yeah, you feel better when you're, you're well rested. So uh, I've always been a good sleeper, thank, thank God. I'm really grateful for that. And I just like to sleep. I like to go to bed. I like to fall asleep. I like the whole process of this. <laughs> I don't feel like I've wasted time when I sleep long. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I know, I know, but I never understood that. I think, what could be better? What is your most marked characteristic? The trait in you that you think other people notice the first, the most often? I really don't know. And I don't want to speculate about it because if, if, if it's something good, then it would sound very vain to talk, vain to talk about that. And if it's something bad, then I would get really anxious about this. So, uh, so I, I prefer not to speculate about that. <laughs> okay. What do you most value in your friends? Uh, if they're not boring. Mm -hmm. That's really great privilege to have friends who are not boring. Who are your favorite writers? Uh, yeah, that's of course a, a big question. I think the writers who have been who have been the most influence on me uh, among the living, I, I, I mentioned him before, that would be Mario Vargas Llosa. Uh, and and um, among the writers not alive anymore, I think number one would be Vladimir Nabokov and number two would be Garcia Marquez. And uh, they, they um, and, and, and that's just, numbering them by their influence on me because I think Gar Marcus is the even greater writer than Nabokov. But, um, but uh, as influences, they have been that they have been, yeah. And then I think also as an influence, also Thomas Mann. I mean, I, I, uh, I read everything he wrote when I, in his, I really read, read every single thing Thomas Mann wrote in my late teens and early twenties. And, uh, 
now I've be kind of moved away from him in many, many ways, as I have from Nabokov. But as an influence, um, I can't deny he has been very important. Who is your hero in fiction or fiction? You mean as a, as a fictional hero or? Imaginary character in film or, or books, someone who is invented. Um, you mean a, like a preferred hero, like someone I have, really, I have great sympathy for? Or, uh, yeah, that would be Pierre in, in War and Peace by Tolstoy. Oh. That's still my favorite hero. hero. I mean, it, I guess you heard that answer a few times, I would, I, I would assume. No, no. No, you didn't. Oh, no, that's surprising. He's such a great character. Yeah. Well, so why, uh, for our readers who maybe haven't, mm -hmm. I've just, I've been using the lockdown to reread War and Peace for the first mm -hmm. time in about 25 years. And, uh, and he's, he's such an appealing character. Yeah. But will you say more about him for our listeners who don't remember? He's so complex and so interesting. He is full of empathy. He is so, he, he's so intellectual in such a beautiful way. He really tries to do the right thing. He is uh, such a sweet and soft person. So he's, he's so, I mean, interesting. I've never thought about that, but Tolstoy is such a great writer because not just does he have so much empathy with his characters, but also his characters usually have so much empathy with other people. So, and, and, and Pierre has so much empathy and you just cannot help uh, loving him. And then something really interesting, which is from today's perspective would be quite a daring thing to do for a fiction writer. He is extremely rich. So he's the, the hero of the book and you feel the empathy with him and he's rambling and trying to do the right thing. And, 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 and in a way, the fact that he's so that he's so rich that you can't even imagine being that rich doesn't in any way get in, in doesn't get in your in your way when you when you try when you when you feel empathy with him and understand his choices and and that's kind of also very interesting about him as a as a as a character as a choice for a fictional hero. You're right. Having that kind of wealth in a in a novel today, he would almost have to be and disagreeable character on yes. some level. It would block, or at least the easy route would be to make that the sort of cause or the manifestation of his lack of empathy. Just yes. somebody who exists for the money. I mean, you see that in Balzac. The rich characters yeah. are generally not the nice ones. And um, with him, it's, it's his money, of course, comes from, uh, comes from uh, a, syst um, um, a system of of surf of of uh, serfdom gen wealth generated by serfdom so there is something deeply wrong about his wealth but he knows that and a big part of the novel is him trying to make up for that in 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 some ways and uh, so that also becomes part of the moral framework of the of the novel and um yeah it's just i mean all this is all all the things i just said is rationalizing why i like love him so much as a character but the important thing is when you asked me i didn't have to think of any of these things it was just immediate who immediately came to mind was pierre from from war and peace pierre Bezukhov. which historical figure do you most identify with yeah i really don't i mean i know that's also part of the of the proof questionnaire <laughs> I'm, I'm not it's not that i i want to go for this easy thing about historical figures are um there, there's there's no such thing as the historical figure or, or anything like that it's more identifying with someone i don't know how you identify with a historical figure i'm there there are obviously many i'm really interested in but i don't know anyone i'm identifying with actually um uh yeah no i'm i i this the the, the people i'm I, when when we talk about identifying and history um when i the, the 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 people i've been thinking about most in the last few years i think since i've become a father were uh the people who who were young parents when uh when when uh, in in the late weimar republic and the early nazi years and then had to go into exile or send their children to exile so this idea of there is uh, there is really really dark times coming and there is um 
a catastrophe coming and you're responsible for a child. But I, so, so that has been on my mind a lot. Uh, like, like how would I have reacted? How would I have dealt with that? Uh, but that's more a situation I, I, I identify with, not, not a concrete historical figure. Who are your heroes in real life? Um, well, I have to say, even though it's not a very original answer, the people who risk their lives to help others. Of course, now they would be like the medical workers, but then also, uh, also, well, the people who work with the fire, fire brigade, uh, yeah. people who, who, went, who go into burning buildings to, to, to pull out survivors or the people who climb on mountains to save people there. Also because I, I'm honestly, I wouldn't, I don't think I would do that. I, I, uh, I don't think I'm, I think I'm a good enough person to not actively harm somebody, but I, I don't think I'm a good enough person to risk my life to save someone else. I don't even know. I, I don't think I would do that. And so I really, uh, I really, uh, uh, yeah, think people who, who are able to do that are very impressive. What are your favorite names? Don't think I have that. I mean, I have, uh, I think about names a lot because as a writer, you need to name characters all the time. And I usually try to get that problem out of the way. So I, 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 I'm, I think uh, the important thing about names in, in fiction, also in life, when you find a name for your child, is to not get in their way. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I, I was very determined when, when, when our son was born to not give him a name that would make him stand out. Because there, I, I, I think you should try to stand out in life, but you don't want to stand out because you have a funny first name that gets called on all the time when in, at school because it sounds weird and funny or because your parents wanted to think of something original. It's a little bit like that with fictional characters. Um, you don't want to give them, uh, you don't want them to stand out by their names. So, um, so when you read Ernst Jünger's diaries and he thinks for pages about the, the vocals in the names of his characters and how they would weigh against each other and how musical they can sound, you know right away why he's a terrible novelist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although I'm, I'm thinking about someone like Charles Dickens where the names are often very, yes. Uh, yes. they're so unique to the character and yet they yeah. seem to do some of the work of characterization. Yes. And I don't know if that's in your view, if that's creative laziness or if that's- No, it's Dickens. Genius. The thing is Dickens yeah. did that. So he kind of invented that trick. So. Yeah. And he did it extremely well, also because you cannot quite explain how he did it. Why does Uriah sound like a bad character? It's really hard to say, it's not obvious, but it does. But then also Dickens is such a large trademark. When you do something like that as a writer, you now do something Dickensian, you do a Dickens thing. Yeah. So yeah. it's fine with him because he did it, he was the first to do it and he did it so well. But it's kind of, it's, it's, it's now it's, if you do it now, then you're just doing a Charles Dickens. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he did it first and yeah. best. So. And also mostly with the bad characters. So, uh, so uh, Oliver Twist, that's a great name, but it's also, it's also a very unassuming name. So uh, it's, again, it's like Oliver is an unforgettable character, but not because of his name. Right. Well, it's quite interesting. I'm sure there are many, many academic studies of fictional names. Yeah. It, but everything you're saying, it makes me think of sort of the this unusual names or the memorable names in fiction. It's quite interesting what, how much weight you want to put on a name yeah. to do the work of the story. I mean, Thomas Mann did it a bit, but I think that's not one of his strong sides, the naming of the, of, of, of the characters. I'm thinking of one of the great names is Victor Frankenstein. Uh, in fiction. It's sort of just some names that have become just monuments to themselves, but somehow because the story is so yeah. ingenious, 
the name carries the story and vice versa, but it's sort of it's just a, incredible that she comes up with this name for this. It's a great name, but I think by now it's impossible to kind of uh, listen to the sound of that name without the weight of the story we all know so well in, in the background. It's kind of impossible to feel what it was like to hear that name for the first time. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. What is it that you most dislike? Um, that's a very general question. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think I go back to what I said before and I say uh, cruelty, meanness, sadism, mm -hmm. cruelty. I think cruelty is the, is the best term. Mm -hmm. What is your greatest regret? Um, my greatest regret, um, I don't, I feel like I have a lot, but then now when I try to be specific about it, it kind of all evaporates. I think, well, I think anyone at a certain point in life feels life was not enough fun when you were young. And I think I have re reached that point now. I should have done more, many more fun things when I was in my early 20s. But then I also know that's how probably everyone feels. Or I mean, maybe not the Rolling Stones, but everyone else. <laughs> so I, I think it's a, it's a normal part of life to feel like that, but I do feel like that. <laughs> how would you like to die? Oh, very sudden, painless, and without any, uh, without seeing it coming, of course. So, uh, mm. which is all very unlikely when we, when we know death statistics. All that is not usually how it happens. But if it happens, you're really privileged. Painless, fast, and best in your sleep. Mm. Mm. What is your motto? Yeah, I, I know that's part of the of many questionnaires. I really don't have that. I, I'm sorry. I don't mm -hmm. I can't even I, I, I tried to think of one because someone asked me before a while ago. I really can't think of one. I'm sorry. We had one question to this questionnaire, Caroline and I, and uh, we, we want to ask you, who would you like to hear answer these questions on our show? Angela Merkel. And uh, I, not for the obvious reason, everyone in America admires her so much. I think part rightly so, but also part because she's a cipher. You don't really understand what's going on with her. She doesn't open up her mind to anyone. She's very, very hard to read. And that's part of her success as a, as a, as a politician. But that's why I would really like her answer questions like that, because there is not a single answer here where I feel like I can anticipate what she would say. Hmm. I think we may not be able to get her. Maybe we can <laughs> Tracy Ullman, the British comedian who impersonates her a lot on YouTube. Well, there oh, would I be. Get her. Yeah. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> yeah, I've seen her. I yeah, she did it on HBO show too, right? I think uh, so. She's been on all these different shows. Um, yeah. She's a good Angela Merkel. Probably but actually, you might be able to get her on the show. I mean, she has said she's not going to run again next year. So if she actually doesn't, uh, then she might have some more time. That's yeah. right. That's well, it. and if we tell her that you suggested it, that might help us a little bit. I don't know. I don't know if she's a reader. I know my friend Thomas Brusick is her favorite novelist. I know that because she said that, but I actually have no idea whether she has read any of my books. So it might not help you. I, 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 I really, it's another thing about her. I really can't anticipate at all. It's a, it's hmm. a suggestion though. I would love to hear her answer. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much, Daniel. That was really fantastic. And well, that was fun. Thank you guys. <laughs> yeah, it was really wonderful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I think our, our listeners are going to be really, really excited for this. It's, uh, it's a treat just, to, and for me too, I mean, to hear a writer who's alive today and whom you admire, <laughs> whom I admire, talking about what really, what makes them think, what they care about, how they work. Uh, it's, uh, it's just such a rare privilege to get that kind of a discussion. <laughs> um, and I don't, you know, that's why we're so happy to do this podcast, I think. Yeah, and, and we'll put the recommendation out. So Measuring the World, the novel that probably most listeners know, and your new book, um, Till T-Y-L-L, -L, so that just come out, which is the name of a character 
uh, the character actually um, in this story. Do you want to say a sentence about that book? Because it takes you into an entirely different world, but it maybe is closer to where we're living now than it was four months ago. Yes, it has become quite close because the plague is also uh, something that plays a big part in the book. Yeah, it's a, it's a novel about the Thirty Years' War in Europe, which was a complete meltdown of civilization and... and uh, and in, in violence and, and cruelty and about the jester in, in, in these dark times. And uh, yeah, it has become much more relevant and timely over the last few years and even over the last few months. But also for me, there was kind of a thing about writing it in, in the last dark years when I was finishing it that was quite reassuring because in also it shows you that we have made a lot of progress. I mean, even with things being quite bad, they're definitely infinitely better than, than they were in the 17th century. So I do think that human beings learn from history and that humanity on a, as a whole learns from history and that uh, we have made a lot of progress. It can be destroyed. Progress is definitely not inevitable. But uh, so far, we haven't destroyed the progress we made. Not, by f not all of it by far. Thank you.